You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Several years ago, uh, on Christmas Eve, my wife and I found ourselves shopping for a TV. Uh, our TV had, had quit working uh, the day before, and you, you can't go into Christmas with no TV. How am I supposed to watch 24 hours of a Christmas story, right? So we went to Austin to buy a TV. We uh, walked into Best, Best Buy, and we immediately uh, were hypnotized by uh, the giant wall of flat-screen TVs across the store, right, uh, shining at us in all of their high-definition glory. Uh, this one particular TV caught our attention because it was on sale. And, and what started out as a quick trip with a modest budget uh, is quickly spiraled out of control in our minds. And maybe, maybe that's something you can identify with. You know, you have these big shopping events like Black Friday or, or <clears throat> Christmas shopping, last-second Christmas shopping, or, or like we like to call it on my house, uh, Tuesday. Um, and you see something in the store that you just have to have, right? You start thinking of creative ways that you can justify this particular purchase. You start doing a little fuzzy math in your head. You're thinking, oh, yeah, we can definitely afford that. Um, the problem was uh, we didn't plan for this very well, right? Uh, we were in the wrong car, first of all. Uh, the car we were in was not sufficient for uh, uh, a TV of this size in the box, uh, we had to take it out of the box to, to make it fit in the car um, for the trip back to LaGrange. Uh, and if we thought that getting it in the vehicle was challenging, which was made even more challenging by the employees at Best Buy, not, either didn't have or unwilling to give up any rope or, or twine. I don't know. It was weird. But if we thought getting it into the vehicle was challenging, imagine our surprise when we get back to the house and realize that this TV is far too big for our tiny little TV stand. Okay, can he just mount it on the wall? Well, that would be a great idea if we had thought to get any of the mounting hardware from Best Buy. Adding to that, no one around here had anything that would work. So what are we going to do? Returning it definitely wasn't an option. Uh, for one, we destroyed the box trying to get it into the car in Austin. And number two, that would be admitting defeat, and we are not quitters in the, base, the Baker household. So um, I think we ended up just leaning it against the wall until after Christmas, and we could finally afford uh, afford a big enough TV stand. Honestly, we probably shouldn't have bought the dang thing in the first place. But all we could think about was having this TV in our house. Especially when you have a four-year-old in the house whose only goal in life is to watch Eloise at Christmas time over and over and over. But we, we, we thought about that. We didn't really concern ourselves with any of the challenges or sacrifices that we might have to make uh, or that we would encounter uh, to get this, this stupid TV. But why do I tell that story? Okay, so tomorrow is the first day uh, of a new year, right? 2024. Many of us are going to wake up in the morning and we're going to think today is a chance for a fresh start, right? It's going to be like, ah, yes, we're wiping the slate clean. 2023 and all of those problems I had a few hours ago, those are gone, right? Uh, This is a chance for us to reflect on the past year. It's an opportunity to set 
some intentions for the coming months and for for the upcoming year. And the majority of those intentions are going to manifest themselves in the glorious form of New Year's resolutions, right? This firm decision to do or not do something, typically with the goal being self-improvement, right? When When I was preparing for this lesson, I came across a report from Forbes Health It's actually a running report that they update every December. They've been doing it for several years. But they keep a running analysis of New Year's resolutions. And according to their research, this year, four out of every ten people will set a New Year's resolution going into 2024. And of those four out of ten people, 90% say that they are either very or somewhat likely to maintain that resolution throughout the year. Which is interesting, and I'll tell you why here in a second. Uh, but for the first time in several years, the, the, the most common resolution going into 2024 is, is physical health. Uh, mental health, which had taken the top spot for the previous few years, has dropped to number three. And sandwiched in between those is improved finances. Before I go on, let me just state for the record, don't get me wrong. I am not saying, uh, I'm not going to stand up here and say there's anything wrong with setting uh, New Year's resolutions. They are not like the great evil that we need to avoid. Setting goals uh, can be very motivating, right? It can create a sense of purpose, a sense of optimism going into uh, the new year or just a new chapter of life. But what's interesting about the research is that uh, on average, New Year's resolutions will last about three months before people give up on them. Uh, contrary to popular belief, if you're anything like me, I've always heard that most people give up on resolutions in the first month. It's not actually true. The, the people that give up in the first month, um, it's a very small percentage. But what's funny is that they all do it on the same day. Uh, the people that track these sorts of things uh, often call the second Saturday in January Quitter's Day. Um, but with, with all the potential benefits uh, of, of goal setting, Right or New Year's resolutions, uh, it does beg the question: Why do we give a, a give up on it so easily? Well, one reason might be that the goals that we're setting are too broad. Let me give you an example. Let's look at some of the other goals that are making the list this year: travel more, lose weight, stop drinking, perform better at work, pray more. Even made the list. All great ideas. Don't get me wrong. But maybe just a tad vague, right? There's no benchmarks. There's no way to measure any kind of success. It's almost like it's almost like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but you can't really see it. You know it's there, but you can't really see it at the end, right? We want the good. I need this this to happen to make me happy. I need to experience this to be more content. Um, If I have this end product, my life will be better. We want that, but we want that without having to experience the hard. What am I going to have to give up to get it, right? We want to be at the destination, but we don't want to think about the journey to get there. In the Forbes report, um, Counselor Jennifer Kowalski offers this explanation. In order to change behavior, she says, you have to be uncomfortable, And nobody wants to be uncomfortable. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I think that's what holds us back from experiencing a more full relationship with God as well. Right? When you think about all of the potential benefits of a a relationship with God, salvation, 
forgiveness, happiness, contentment, eternal life. Yes, please. I want all of that stuff, right? But when it comes to things like accountability, obedience, potential lifestyle changes, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on. Pump the brakes a second. Nobody said anything about all this. Let's go back to the, let's go back to the other stuff. That's more fun, right? And before I go on, I just want to say, for the record, I'm not ignoring uh, doctrines of grace or doctrines of God's unconditional love. Those are obviously of, of dire importance. But those focus on salvation from God's side of the equation. The passage we're looking at this morning is, uh, is Jesus offering us a different perspective, more from the human side of the equation, right? And what Jesus says here is actually going deeper than that and is going to speak to our motivation. And in doing so, he's going to point to three things for us to consider. He's going to point to the past, he's going to point to the present, and he's going to point to a promise. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Uh, We are going to start in verse 13. I know that your insert says uh, 16 to 21, uh, but I think to get the full effect of what Jesus is saying, we have to back up a few verses. Uh, I apologize about that. That's my bad. Uh, I'll do better in preparing next time. Come back in May uh, when I preach again, and I'll I'll do better. Um, So Luke 12, uh, we're starting in verse 13. Here we go. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So for some context, so for some context, Jesus here is in the last month of his ministry. He's in the last 30 days of his ministry. He and his disciples are currently making their way from Mount Tabor to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Mount Tabor is where Jesus, along with Peter, James, uh, and John, experienced the transfiguration. Okay. Now, Mount Tabor only sits about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a trip that that they could probably make in about a week, but they aren't going straight there. In Mark 10, if you back up to Mark 10, uh, we see that after Jesus comes down uh, from the top of Mount Tabor, he sends out 72 disciples to visit all of the places they plan to stop. Okay. Um, Jesus knows that this will be his final time visiting Jerusalem. On this side of the cross, at least. And uh, he wants to make sure that he and the disciples are using this time wisely. After all, he still has ministry work to do. Now, at this point, people had heard about Jesus. He had made a name for himself. And so when word came down that they might be stopping and that that Jesus might be stopping in their particular neck of the woods, they tended to get excited. But for various reasons. Right. Uh, it could be that that they simply wanted to hear one of his lessons. He was a great speaker, uh, always made a lot of sense. He was Jesus. Um, it could have been that they just simply wanted to, to come around so that they, maybe they could witness a miracle. Right. Or some kind of healing, um, which would happen in this particular story uh, at one point. Or it could have been uh, just a religious leader. Right. They wanted to show up and take his shot at the champ. Either way, whatever it was, large crowds were becoming a common occurrence on this trip. And we see time and again that from the beginning of the journey in Luke chapter 10 all the way to the end of the journey in Luke chapter 19 and the triumphal entry, the crowds just keep getting bigger and bigger 
and bigger. And the crowds, they weren't, uh, they weren't always civilized. They weren't always very courteous, right? And so people would just shout random questions or, or pleas for wisdom at Jesus while he was speaking. Now, when Jesus and the disciples had gotten to this particular spot, uh, stop in their, in their journey, one of the first things that Jesus did, if we look back at, uh, if you look back at Mark 11, is he cast a demon out of a man uh, who had been rendered mute by this demon, right? So he casts this demon out. The crowd is already large. They all witness this. And as soon as he did that, it caused many in the crowd to suggest that Jesus was getting his power from Satan. Others simply called out for a sign from heaven. As if casting out a demon wasn't enough? I don't know. Uh, Either way, Jesus is going to respond by launching into a lesson on the dangers of hypocrisy. And he is criticizing uh, religious leaders. And in the middle of all this, um, some guy from the crowd shouts this, this question at him. Let's keep going. Verse 14. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? So Jesus is asking a simple question here. Why are you asking me this, right? Well, there are a lot of examples in Scripture where Jesus is, uh, people would refer to Jesus as rabbi or teacher. And he rarely, if ever, corrected them, right? Now, it's important to remember at the time that religious leaders, they, they really had this very bloated sense of authority, right? And they would frequently insert themselves into these situations that they really Uh, They really weren't any of their business. They had no business getting involved in some of this stuff. Uh, But they would do it, especially if they could twist it into some sort of personal gain, right? Now, because of who he was, many people uh, viewed Jesus in the same light and with the same authority as other religious leaders at the time, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Honestly, they just didn't know any better. Now, we don't have the, the benefit of tone or voice inflection, but uh, when Jesus responds to this, this gentleman, um, his, his response does seem to come off a tad prickly, right? Or maybe it just does to me. Um, he does say friend, which is a well-intended uh, greeting, um, but the translation we're looking at is really the only one that, that says friend. Uh, almost every other translation just uses a generalized man. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the word used in the original Greek text is anthropos when he, when he opens this statement. He says anthropos. It's where we get uh, the word anthropology, right? It is, at the time, it was a generalized term that just simply meant human, right? Uh, a random uh, or a modern example might be uh, bro or dude or something like that. You know, it was just something to open, uh, open the conversation with. Okay, Uh, verse 15. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, this one says greed. Some translations say covetousness. Either way, it means the same thing. Okay, it is a strong, excessive desire to have something that someone else has. Right. Uh, Think of it like this. It wouldn't be like saying They have a really nice car. I'm going to go buy one. It's more like I want that car, and I don't care who I have to hurt to get that one, right? That's what greed and covetousness is. 
It's this deep, ravenous longing that seeps into and corrupts every ounce of our soul. But what Jesus is going to say in this, uh, in this verse is an invitation for us to examine the past, right? He is saying that, that what you have right now, good or bad, is based solely on the decisions that you've made up to this point. How's that working out for you? I mean, you're obviously asking me this question for a reason, right? And even though, uh, even though Jesus is responding to this gentleman uh, directly, his use of a generalized term, man or friend, indicates that he wants everyone in the audience, including us, to hear it. And to solidify his point, he's going to tell, tell, tell us a parable. Verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So a while back, I had a student come to me uh, and ask me why he should believe anything that's in the Bible. Okay, He wanted to believe, but uh, there were some things that just kept tripping him up. Uh, in his words, it was... According to him, he said the metaphorical nature of the Bible was a little bit too much for him to wrap his head around, right? If the Bible is not going to use actual stories and just metaphors, then why should he take anything in the Bible? Uh, seriously, it's a fair question, okay? And he and I had a long conversation about that. Uh, I don't really have time this morning to, to cover everything he and I talked about. But his main hurdle was Jesus use of parables. So it begs the question, what is a parable? A parable is a story told alongside a truth in order to better illustrate that truth. And even though uh, the, the, the parables that Jesus told were typically fiction, some would have elements uh, of truth that Jews would be able to recognize. Uh, the prodigal son, for example. And Jesus wouldn't lean on these uh, parables for his primary message. They were always told as an analogy to support a larger point. And the larger point in this case is, uh, is that Jesus is going to bring us back to the present. And he wants us to consider what's going on in the present. So... The Bible is describing someone who has been who has been blessed by God. His land is, uh, according to Scripture, fertile, and produced fine crops. Life is good, right? And as God continued to bless this man, instead of using his increase to further the will of God, all he's interested in doing is managing his increase and accumulating his own wealth. So, what's the solution? I'm going to build bigger barns because I have all this stuff, right? And, I'm, and he starts planning an early retirement. He's so devoted to gathering and accumulating wealth that he misses the point. What the man is missing is that we are not blessed by God to hoard our wealth to ourselves. 
We are blessed to be a blessing to others. The underlying theme of this parable, though, is opportunity. There's a great line. uh, If you've seen the movie, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. But there's a great line in the movie, Evan Almighty, where God, played by Morgan Freeman, is talking to another character. And he says, if someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or do you think he gives them the opportunity to be patient? If he prayed for courage, does God give him courage or does he give him opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them the opportunities to love each other? So as we go into a new year, maybe God is laying something on your heart, right? If he is, is he just going to magically... Make it happen? We can, for sure. But more likely, he'll give us the opportunity to act on it. Wealth does not always mean money. Most of the time when I've heard, uh, when I've heard this preached or when I was doing research on this, typically this passage is associated strictly with money, right? The dangers of having too much money. But that is not always what that means. Wealth could mean any number of things like happiness or patience or time. The point is not look at all that I have. The point is how can I bless others with what I have? In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's keep going. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. A rich relationship with God. The nature of our relationship with God is not defined by our minds. It's not defined by our talents, and it's certainly not defined by our efforts. The nature of our relationship with God, the very essence of our belief, is in the heart. But the human heart, on its own, is too easily influenced. In Jeremiah 17:9, Jeremiah writes, The heart is deceitful above all things and cannot be trusted. The condition of our human heart is evil at its core, which leads us into sin and disobedience. Even when we try to do good, our sinful nature can lead us in the opposite direction. Our focus shifts, and all of these things that seem so important only work to draw our focus farther, farther away from a God who loves us. And at the end of the day, what difference does having all this stuff make anyway if we're keeping it to ourselves, right? I get it. Everyone wants a life of purpose. Everyone wants a life of meaning. But in the successes of life, it is easy to look around and think that all of this is because of me. I'm the smart one. I'm the leader. I'm the boss. I'm the reason for all of this. But what God says is, I will lead you, I will bless you, and I will use you to be a blessing for the rest of the world. He says you don't need to build a kingdom for your power 
and your glory. You just need to take a walk and follow me. Let's not build out of fear, but walk out of faith into the path that God has for us. Will it make you wealthy? Maybe, maybe not. But it will definitely make you beneficial. In 1867, a young chemist named Alfred would, would create and patent a new invention called dynamite. And his invention would revolutionize warfare for years to come. And, he, and it would make him and his family wealthy beyond anything they could have imagined. In 1888, though, Alfred's brother Ludwig died. And a French news publication mistakenly thought that it was Alfred who had died. And so they printed Alfred's obituary in their next publication. And it was titled, The Merchant of Death is Dead. It went on to say that he became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. When Alfred read this, he was understandably horrified. He didn't want to be remembered this way. All he was trying to do was make an invention and get security for his family, right? He'd been so focused on reaping his own rewards, he never really considered the consequences. But when he read that obituary and understood fully how, how people uh, associated him, he immediately, within days, went to his lawyer and had his will changed so that upon his death, which he would pass away in 1895, upon his death, the entirety, 94% of his estate, would not go to his family, but they would instead <clears throat> be used to establish these humanitarian prizes that were going to be awarded to individuals each year. So now, almost 150 years later, when we hear the name Alfred Nobel, we don't think merchant of death. We don't think murderer. We don't think someone who thought of inventive ways to kill people. What we do think of Alfred Nobel as is a humanitarian whose Nobel Prizes honor those who have been the greatest benefit to mankind in the previous year. In Mark 8.36, Jesus says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? The evil in this world wants you to believe that either you don't need God or God wouldn't want you anyway. And when either of those things begins to take hold in our consciousness, it is really easy to convince ourselves that beginning or pursuing a deeper relationship with God is not possible. There are too many rules to follow, right? I've made too many, too many mistakes. There's no way I'll ever measure up. It's simply not worth it. It's too hard. So the other day, um, <clears throat> my wife and I were standing in the kitchen. Uh, we were discussing this lesson, right? And we were kind of talking about how to wrap it up. I often do that uh, when, I'm, when I'm scheduled to preach is, you know, I like bouncing ideas off my wife because uh, she's smarter than I am. <clears throat> But we were talking about this. I wasn't really sure how I was, I was going to wrap it up. Uh, so we were talking through some different things. And, and my son walks in, and he, I don't know, he goes to the pantry. He's looking for a Pop-Tart or something. Or maybe he was eating some cereal. I don't know. 
But he, 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 he hears like 2% of our conversation. And he says, the man who loves to walk will walk farther than the man who loves the destination. And then he walked out, and we didn't see him for the rest of the day. But, but my wife and I were like, that's amazing. Wait, come back. Can you say that again, please? God never meant for us to make this journey alone. Will it be easy? Probably not. But it will always be worth it. The magnificent truth for us is that it's never too late for, for us to change. Jesus did not say, come to me, but only after you fix this. Right? You got to pray more, you got to read your Bible more, and then come back and see me. Jesus just said, come to me, and I'll help you. The promise of God in this passage is the very man who is telling the story. A man who is traveling to Jerusalem for the, for the last time. A lamb whose sacrifice on the cross will take the burden of sin off of our shoulders and onto his. The king who will rise three days later, defeating death and bringing salvation to all mankind. A savior who walks with us through life and through all of our challenges and successes. The Lord, who sits at the right hand of God, waiting to welcome us with open arms. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for everything that you have done for us, for every blessing that we have. Thank you most of all for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins and to provide us salvation. Thank you for the love and the care that you continually give us. God, I ask that it, as, you, as we go into the, the next year, that you will continue to watch over us, to guide us with your wisdom. Show us what it looks like to love well in your eyes. Father, we love you. Please forgive us where we failed you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.